Vi. Middle Manager, Synthesizing, Advancing Shared Strategic Understanding. If championing represents the culmination of a process that increases innovation and expands the firm's repertoire of strategic capabilities, synthesizing represents the genesis of that process. Synthesizing the strategic significance of emergent events and information is something managers do all the time, naturally, as part of their day-to-day activities, sharing ideas, having conversations, reporting results to superiors, and so on. It provides the foundation for middle managers to effectively perform their other strategic roles. Noting that synthesizing occurs naturally or automatically, however, in no way suggests that all managers perform this role equally well, or even adequately. It is an inherently subjective process that involves both intellectual and interpersonal skills. Intellectually, managers develop and constantly revise their own understanding of the strategic situation. Interpersonally, they influence the shared understanding of strategy within the organization through interactions with subordinates, peers, and top managers. Synthesizing is a subjective process by which middle managers inject strategic meaning into operating in strategic information and communicate their interpretations to others. How managers come to understand the strategic situation and how they influence others' perceptions has a profound effect on the overall understanding of strategy that develops within the organization. In this chapter we take an explicit look at this fundamental yet somewhat subliminal role. In our experience, conscious attempts to improve one's synthesizing skills can greatly increase an individual's strategic value within a firm. Elements of the Strategic Knowledge Base Middle managers link the firm's strategic and operating domains, and as a result they are bombarded by streams of diverse data coming from both inside and outside the organization. By interpreting this diverse set of information and sharing it with others, including top managers, Middle managers integrate new data with existing strategic thinking to help build the organization's strategic knowledge base. The list that follows illustrates the elements that make up a firm's strategic knowledge base. Each of the types of information represents a piece of the strategic puzzle, and no one piece tells the entire story. Although top and operating level managers are likely to be exposed to some of these elements, and indeed may develop in-depth knowledge about them middle managers, particularly those in boundary-spanning positions, are the managers most likely to encounter the broadest range of these elements. As a result, they are often in the best position to help the organization integrate this diverse data to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Elements of the Strategic Knowledge Base Existing Strategic Mindset Middle management's access to top management provides them with an in-depth understanding of the firm's current strategic logic. This understanding allows middle managers to comprehend the strategic significance of new information and thus influence the evolution of strategic thinking within the firm. Customer information. The complexity and evolving nature of customer needs necessitates continuous learning within the organization. Research suggests that most new product innovations come from customers rather than the R&D lab. Competitor information. A knowledge of competitor strategies and aspirations is crucial in predicting the evolution of competition within an industry. Organizations learn not only new technologies and product innovations from competitors but also new operating processes and practices. Network information. Organizational strategy can also be informed by firms in related and supporting industries. To an extent, this type of learning is easier as it does not involve direct competition. Middle managers from different firms who belong to the same professional association, for example, may exchange information without threatening their firm's competitive advantage. Process knowledge and information. Middle management's hands-on involvement in operations provides them with an in-depth knowledge of operating processes and informs them of new developments and enhancements to existing capabilities as they emerge. Process knowledge is important at the work group, 
intrafunctional, and interfunctional levels, and middle managers who transcend these boundaries are needed to interpret process issues within a strategic context. Technical knowledge and information. Middle management's involvement in operations gives them a working knowledge of relevant technologies. This technical literacy allows middle managers to assess emerging technology issues within a strategic framework. Many companies, for example, have struggled with the question of how to build an information system that creates competitive advantage. In one case, we studied a large stationary company where the general manager had come to see customer service as the top item on the strategic agenda. His interest in information technology had been stimulated by a computer vendor's presentation on electronic data interchange, EDI, a system that would give customers direct access to the company's database. A study was initiated. Working with consultants, data processing and customer service managers began to define the requirements for the new technology. In the process, it became apparent that implementation demanded more detailed reporting and much higher accuracy than the manager of customer service believed was either feasible or desirable. In a sharply worded memo, the customer service manager informed the division's general manager that ED was totally unnecessary and inappropriate. Fortunately, the director of marketing, who had not been involved in the project, received a copy of the testy memorandum. After discussing it with the frustrated general manager, he called a meeting that involved a consultant a computer vendor representative, and the manager of customer service. In the meeting, the marketing director used his knowledge of what one of the firm's distributors was doing in order to show the customer service manager that ED had come to the stationary industry and was here to stay. The director made arrangements for the customer service manager to visit the distributor and see the system in action. After the visit, the supervisor of customer service wrote another memo to the general manager. This one asserted that although it would be costly and time-consuming, implementation of ED was a crucial strategic investment that this company must now undertake. The example illustrates again the importance of middle management's unique position. The senior manager believed that ED fit the strategy, but he was in a poor position to argue with the operating level manager who knew more about the details. It was a middle manager who was able to appreciate both the strategic implications of ED and the practical problems of implementation. Admittedly, this manager knew less about the technical details than did the operating manager, but he was able to frame the issue in a way that was convincing to all involved. In short, the manager was able to integrate ED into the organization's shared understanding of strategy. This example is by no means unique. If you think of an organization and its environment as a vast social network consisting of topand operating level managers, customers, suppliers, consultants, competitors, and so on, middle managers have the potential to encounter more different types of these contacts than anyone else in the network. This is a normal result of the way job responsibilities are distributed. Top managers have responsibility for strategy, operating managers for operations, and middle managers have responsibility for bringing the two together. Organizational learning. Noting the centrality of middle managers is not meant to suggest that they are the source of all organizational knowledge. Often they are simply in the best position to combine diverse bits of information into an overall strategic picture. The degree to which this positioning is exploited to the benefit of the organization, however, depends on how well the organization learns. This picture shows how an individual manager's synthesis or interpretation of events fits into the larger context of organizational learning. At the heart of any organizational knowledge base are a set of core values shared by organization members. In general, Values represent the strongest filter on a person's perceptual lens, affecting how she sees the world as an individual or as a member of an organization. Values define what we see as important, what we pay attention to, what we believe is right and wrong or true and false. 
The figure shows how core values shape the experiences and interpretations of individuals and influence what the organization pays attention to, and how members of the organization come to a common understanding of the strategic situation. The centrality of core values to organizational learning in general, and middle management synthesizing in particular, is perhaps best illustrated by a comparative example. Imagine two medium-sized machine shops. Both firms supply machine components to manufacturers producing various types of consumer products. In fact, the firms are almost identical except in terms of their dominant core values. The first firm is best characterized as autocratic. Managers know they have limited influence on what the firm does and have leaned over time that their chief responsibilities are to act as expleters and problem solvers. They are paid to see that things get loaned, not to question what needs to be done. Thinking about business-level issues is much less restricted in the second firm. The words and actions of the firm's president and owner convey that managers are expected to add value by influencing the direction of the firm, figuring out how to survive in an increasingly competitive industry. Now suppose the purchasing manager of each firm receives the following letter from a large customer. Greater than dear sir or madam. Greater than greater than in an effort to better control the quality of our company's products we have modified our policies regarding subcontractors. Beginning January 1st, we are requiring all subcontractors to evaluate and qualify all vendors who supply raw material for the components we buy. Greater than. Greater than in this regard, we ask that your company site visit and document the quality control procedures of relevant firms. Thank you for your timely attention to this matter. I think you'll agree that ensuring quality is to our mutual benefit. Greater than. Greater than sincerely. Greater than. Greater than Colin Irving Purchasing Director XYZ Corporation. In the first firm, the manager is likely to consider the request a nuisance and perhaps a waste of time. She is unlikely to recognize the potential strategic significance of the request. More likely, the manager will simply seek top management direction. In the second firm, however, the manager may begin to consider the broader significance of the request. He may, for example, have become aware of emerging international quality standards and understand that meeting such standards is increasingly important within the industry. Combining this knowledge with his understanding of the firm's competitive circumstance, the manager may begin to describe to others how adopting quality standards could constitute a strategic advantage for the firm. In this case, a seemingly straightforward customer request has become the basis for investigation and discussion within the organization and ultimately might result in the firm gaining new competitive capabilities. In essence, the lesson is that core values instilled by top management determine the strategic value of middle managers as synthesizers of information, and this in turn determines the degree of shared learning that occurs within the organization. Middle managers have the potential to advance strategic understanding in the firm by making connections among a wide variety of information elements and constituencies. The extent to which this potential is realized, however, relies heavily on the leadership reflected in the firm's system of core values. How Categories Influence Strategic Thinking Categorization is one of the tangible results of the interpretation process and a powerful way middle managers influence strategic thinking in others. Perhaps as a result of our evolutionary conditioning, the human mind insists on classifying events in a way that indicates the needed response. Is this beast approaching in the dark a saber-toothed tiger or my lovely mate? Thus, a positive or negative slant becomes evident in the use of words like problem, surprise, warning, and so on. Categories are useful in organizations because names or labels carry meaning that is easily transferable among members. Categorization is a form of mental shorthand that aids communication. Categories are rarely neutral. Labels and names have important effects on how information is interpreted. 
In short, the use of categories shapes shared strategic understanding. As middle managers interpret information in light of firm strategy, the two generic categories that surface most often are opportunity and threat. Use of these labels affects the evolving interpretation of an issue within the organization and thereby influences subsequent decision-making. Researchers who have presented decision-makers with identical scenarios, differing only with respect to whether they are represented as a threat or opportunity, have identified systematic differences in the kind of decision that is made and in the process used to reach the decision. In the summer of 1984, one of the authors was conducting research interviews at the headquarters of IBM. The purpose was to assess how computers were being used by managers and professionals, but conversations frequently turned to the computer industry and how changes brought on by the PC would affect the company. The product planning group was participating in the study, and managers in this department had produced an ENOR. Mouse number of graphs and charts, all projecting rapid growth in microcomputer software and much slower growth in hardware. After several conversations, it became apparent that middle managers within IBM saw this trend as an opportunity. The charts even used titles like software market opportunities. At the time, this seemed odd to those of us on the research team because the company had already given up control over development of the PC's operating system to Microsoft. Many industry observers believe this would give Bill Gates's young company a huge competitive advantage. In hindsight, it is apparent that IBM's culture refused to accept the idea that a newly formed and still tiny software company could pose a significant threat to Big Blue. Not seeing the growth in software as a threat to their industry dominance, IBM made only modest investments in software development within the company, relying instead on an alliance with Microsoft to address the issue. By the late 1980s the window of time for a viable strategic response had closed, and IBM was essentially shut out of the PC software market. Table above summarizes the research concerning the effects of category labeling on strategic decision-making. On the whole it demonstrates that how an issue is labeled has an important effect on how an organization responds. When an issue is described as an opportunity, it is likely to be seen as bringing something positive into the situation, something the organization can control and that will create a gain. An opportunity for the most part already fits the organization's strategy, so the changes needed inside the company are seen to be fairly incremental. Much of the organization's effort will focus not on organizational change but on leveraging their control over external events. The same issue framed as a threat, however, would be seen negatively, as something relatively uncontrollable. The established strategy would be perceived as ill-suited, and managers would likely respond with large-scale changes inside the company. By their labeling of events and trends as threats or opportunities, therefore, middle managers can play an important role in determining how an issue is understood within the organization and how top management is likely to respond. More broadly, there are an almost infinite number of other ways middle managers can frame strategic issues. They can frame an event as related to a particular function, for example, as a human resource issue, a technology issue, as a quality issue, and so on, or they can frame it as an issue affecting the whole business. They can frame it as as more or less urgent. They can emphasize certain facets of the issue over others. In describing an issue, middle managers can even incorporate a proposed solution. Each of these dimensions will influence how others see the issue, and this in turn will affect related decisions. Selling our impressions to others. The way an issue is framed affects how much attention an idea gets. As we have seen, threats get more attention than opportunities. Similarly, ideas that are seen as urgent, new, or different are more likely to be heard by top managers. The number of people involved also affects how much attention an issue receives. A coalition of people, such as a cross-functional group of middle managers, is much more likely to be heard than a single individual. Finally, 
Top management is not likely to pay attention when an issue is ambiguous or poorly argued. Middle managers who are successful at getting the attention of others know how to make a clear, concise case for their ideas, using persuasive evidence and sound logic. Lay was the national manager of franchise sales for a major fast food restaurant chain. He had come into the restaurant industry after 10 years' experience as a branch sales manager for Xerox, a company that many believe provides the best sales training in the world. Lay's compensation was based in part on his ability to recruit new licensees for the burger chain, and after just two years in his position, he had been responsible for licenses that resulted in the construction of more than 200 new restaurants. His success gave him immense credibility with senior management. The issue that arose, however, was that 52 of the new units had been licensed to just one new franchisee. The franchisee was a restaurant operator in the Midwest with two other restaurant chains, in addition to the new hamburger stores. Although the franchisee's size and expertise allowed the company to grow quickly, the downside was that a large licensee could wield considerable clout. In this case, a conflict arose between the corporate operations group and the franchisee about how to change the menu to suit regional tastes. Corporate operations argued that menu changes undermined national standards and therefore threatened a key aspect of the chain's competitive strategy. Because they were experienced restaurateurs, management and the franchisee asserted they were going ahead with the changes, and if necessary, they would take down the sign in order to accomplish this, meaning they would cancel their franchise. Not surprisingly, Lay argued forcefully within the company on the side of franchisee. He successfully framed the issue as a necessary adaptation of national standards to suit regional tastes. This was an emerging strategy being pursued by competitors, he argued, and corporate operations were sticking their heads in the sand if they thought they could preserve a uniform national standard. In a crucial presentation to the executive committee, Lay showed how rival chains had permitted regional differences and increased market share as three result. The operations group had no way to counter this argument, relying instead on the traditional logic of standardization. In comparison to the case Lay was making, the operations group's arguments seemed dated. Lay succeeded in reshaping the organization's understanding of strategy, and in the short term, this preserved the relationship with the large franchisee. In addition, however, the concessions opened a floodgate of demands for menu changes from other, smaller licensees across the country. Coping with these put enormous strains on corporate policy and franchisee relations, not to mention the pressure it put on operations to change kitchen equipment design and employee training procedures. Today, in a saturated and highly competitive fast food market, the menu and operational differences across the chain have become a serious hurdle to maintaining quality and cost standards. The reality is that managers differ considerably in their ability to frame an issue, to build a coalition, and to make a coherent argument. Too often it seems that the manager who is good at getting top management attention, like Lay, is trying to feather his own nest rather than serve the interests of the organization. Indeed, it is this ability of self-interested issue sellers to manipulate the organization's strategic understanding and thereby shape the strategic agenda that causes top managers to be suspicious of middle management input. Manipulation or Leadership, Two Views of the Synthesizing Role So how should we view middle management's issue selling in the synthesizing role? Is it manipulation or leadership? Top management's fear is that managers will select and bias information to promote their own interests. Self-interest in itself is not necessarily bad, However, what is critical is the extent to which the middle manager's interests and those of the organization overlap. Certainly, the burger chain benefited from Lay's sales efforts, which were highly motivated by his self-interest. As long as personal goals are congruent with organizational goals, self-interested synthesizing is likely to serve the organization. Unfortunately, in many cases it may be difficult to know, even for the issue seller herself, 
whether the argument is congruent with organizational interests. A better solution to the problem of self-interest, then, is to promote a diversity of viewpoints in the process of building shared strategic understanding. Problems arise when only one voice is heard. Whether the dominant voice is that of a middle or top-level manager, the potential for losing sight of the organization's interests increases in inverse relationship to the number of perspectives being shared. In fact, as we have seen in the case of championing, one of the chief advantages of increasing middle management involvement is to increase the breadth of alternative perspectives. Common sense and research on decision-making supports this. Studies of management groups seeking a consensus on strategy show that higher quality decisions result from a process that includes conflict. That is, a willingness to tolerate and even seek out diverse viewpoints brings more information to light and creates a more accurate appraisal of the strategic circumstances. Just as Lay's dominance of the argument within the restaurant chain led to a low-quality decision, a top manager's dominance of an organization's understanding of strategy can lead to low-quality decisions. The most famous example of this is Irving Janus's description of groupthink and the decision to invade Cuba in 1961. Self-censoring on the part of cabinet members out of deference to the new president kept crucial information from being brought to the decision. The admonition we would make is that top managers, rather than coping with the problem of self-interested issue selling by leastening less to middle managers, should seek input and listen to the perspectives of more middle managers. The value of this recommendation, of course, depends on a degree of balance among me sent to lay management synthesizers. Instead of being dominated by the few, such as lay, who are talented issue sellers, organizations will benefit from more effective synthesizing by many middle managers. A framework for effective influence. There are many ingredients to becoming an influential issue seller. Good communication skills are paramount, for example, however this is not a book on effective communication. Instead, table above summarizes the major considerations in issue selling, emphasized in particular the importance of categorization and framing to the synthesizing process. There will be many cases when a middle-mar ager is synthesizing without a specific agenda. The guidelines here are intended for use on those occasions when synthesizing is purposeful, that is, when middle management's intention is to influence organizational action in some specific way. The first question to ask an issue selling is, what is the goal? Naturally, a middle manager's motivation may emphasize the three goals shown in table above to a greater or lesser extent or combine them in some way. The table suggests that the more one of the goals is present in the manager's intention, the more important each of the descriptors is to the issue selling process. The inverse is also true, and it is possible to generate an overreaction on the part of top management. If one simply wants to initiate a dialogue within the organization about an issue, it is not necessary to represent the issue as a major threat or to suggest it as business-wide implications. Instead, framing it as novel and relatively urgent will probably get it on the table. Jim, for example, was the Director of Information Management for a medium-sized health maintenance organization, HMO, that participated in one of our studies. Returning from a new healthcare technologies conference, he began to create doubt about the future prospects of his organization. Among other managers and staff, he talked cynically about the firm's physician outcomes monitoring system, which was intended to help ensure appropriate utilization of healthcare services. Utilization management is crucial in an HMO's effort to strike a balance between high-quality and low-cost care. The technology had been developing rapidly, and Jim repeatedly asserted to his colleagues, we are not even in the ballpark. More important, in a memo to his boss about the conference, Jim created a sense of crisis. TM not sure what the impact of the new systems will be, but our competitors already have it up and running. I don't understand the stuff myself, and I'm sure nobody else around here does. For top management, Jim's reaction to the conference spoke volumes. 
Jim's boss had asked him to attend the conference in order to stay on top of developments in the field. But Jim's reaction created a sense of urgency and threat to the entire business. Change was coming and the organization seemed ill-prepared to cope with it. In response to the crisis, top management hired a consulting firm whose recommendations included an overall restructuring of the information systems organization, significant shifting of responsibilities, and company-wide training. Along the way, Jim lost influence and authority and eventually left the firm. In our conversation with the CEO, he admitted that Jim's approach to the problem was probably overkill. We could have accomplished the same thing with far fewer resources and much less turmoil. Jim's experience in this case illustrates the tight connection between middle management behavior and top management action. Jim's panic, generated by his own lack of understanding and doubts about the company's systems, caused top management to perceive the situation as urgent and threatening. They then took control of the situation, imposing an admittedly draconian solution. Jim had oversold the issue. A final point to remember is that a group can sell any issue of significance more easily than can a single individual. If you are the only one who thinks it's important, it probably isn't. Typically, motivating strategic change represents the hardest sell, so coalitions may need to be broadest for this purpose. However, significant organizational changes, even if they do not represent a major change in strategy, may still affect a large number of people, many of whom represent potential opposition. This point illustrates again the overlap among the four roles, and in particular the way that synthesizing strategic information frequently is a precursor to championing a strategic alternative. Synthesizing, and especially issue selling, is an essential aspect of championing. Summary In the synthesizing role, middle managers are participating in a wider, organizational interpretation process in which everyone plays a role, and clearly, top and operating level managers have important influence. The unique set of interactions afforded middle managers, however, gives them the opportunity to synthesize meaning from an exceptionally wide range of inputs. Whether an individual's interpretation helps the organization learn depends significantly on the extent to which organization members share a set of core values. Successful organizational learning also depends on management's ability to frame ideas and sell issues that positively affect the organization's shared understanding of its strategic circumstances. The list below summarizes the hallmarks of an effective synthesizer. Hallmarks of effective synthesizing. Proactive learning. Comprehends and articulates the strategic mindset. Internalizes and externally tests core values. Imports and interprets strategic information. Deliberate communicating. Actively frames issues in accord with strategic significance. Selectively sells issues that warrant response. Adjusts sales approach to achieve desired goals. Source, the strategic middle manager. Stephen W. Floyd and Bill Woolridge.